0: His list of transgressions is so much longer than this. This is literally, should be the tip of the iceberg. It's sort of like one of the first times he's ever been snagged, but he's like a greased pig.
1: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, December 9th. And today, Bill Cohan joins me to talk about the Trump Organization being convicted of tax fraud and other crimes, and whether this scandal will finally be the one to derail Donald Trump. Hint, probably not. And Bill and I also discuss Sam Bankman-Fried's apparent addiction to talking to the press. And later, Alex Bigler is here with some holiday updates about Puck, and to fact check a very important error in The New Yorker about our little enterprise. We hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm joined today by a celebrated author, Bill Cohan, who wrote the book Power Failure, The Rise and Fall of an American Icon, which you should all be buying for your relatives for Christmas. Bill, how are you? Congrats on being on a year-end list. I feel like that's going to happen more.
0: No, thank you, Peter. I was blessed. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: I want to talk to you today about something you're pretty good at talking about, which is uh, crooked rich people. Um, Specialité de la maison. Oui, mais oui. The... Uh, Trump Organization this week was convicted of tax fraud and a bunch of other crimes, it turns out. I want to read to you the lead from the New York Times, the newspaper of record. The Trump Organization, the family real estate business that made Donald J. Trump a billionaire and propelled him from reality television to the White House, was convicted on Tuesday of tax fraud and other crimes, forever tarring the former president and the company that bears his (laughs) name— First of all, that might be a little overwrought. I think Trump wasn't personally convicted and uh, his name is tarred for many, many other reasons. But can you just walk through what this conviction
0: was about? Sure. First of all, it's it's different than what the New York State Attorney General is looking at. Essentially, the Trump organization was offering perks, shall we say, to its employees uh, who then didn't report them and didn't pay taxes on them. And it was like systemic, uh, whether it was like paying for the rent on an apartment or paying for kids' education, you know, in and around the CFO, Alan Weisselberg. You know, I think you're exactly right, Peter. I mean, his list of transgressions is so much longer than this. This is literally should be the tip of the iceberg. And despite that hyperbolic New York Times lead, I think the fine was, what, a million and a half dollars or something. It's, you know, civil in the sense that, you know, no one's going to jail uh, as a result of this. Um, obviously, it's a, a mark against Trump, and it's sort of like one of the first times he's ever been snagged. But he's he's like a greased pig. And so, uh, you know, the real question is, is, you know, whether the New York State Attorney General, which is also a civil fraud case, I mean, this was, I guess, criminal, but sort of has a feel of a civil case because, you know, company can't go to jail. The New York State Attorney General's case is a civil case in which could be more damaging. It could actually put the company out of business, you know, if they're convicted there based on overinflating valuations and using those overinflated valuations to get, uh, you know, financing. And then, of course, you know, we've got the big stuff, which is January 6th, the Georgia you know, manipulation, uh, you know, trying to find votes case and, of course, the documents at Mar-a-Lago. So this is maybe, you know, the tip of the iceberg. Hopefully we're going to get to see more of this iceberg. You know, I'm reading these articles and it's
1: like Trump Organization, Trump Organization, the Trump Organization. Like, what is the Trump Organization at this
0: point? I think it's pretty much what it has always been, kind of a pathetic grouping of real estate projects you know, some of which he owns, some of which he's an equity investor in. Obviously, he still owns Trump Tower. He still owns 40 Wall Street. He's still uh, an investor with Fornado in a couple of towers, you know, on 6th Avenue and on 42nd Street. And of course, there's his, uh, you know, grandiose uh, golf club holdings. Um, you know, I assume Mar-a-Lago is tucked in there somewhere. There's the place in Westchester County. Actually, aside from selling the hotel in Washington, because of the state attorney general, New York state attorney General's suit and a ruling by the judge in that case, he actually can't sell anything out of the Trump organization without the approval of the court and and a monitor the court has imposed on him. So it actually what he can do now with that business is quite circumscribed uh, at this point, and he can only do things with the approval uh, of the court. Not much is going in or going out these days. I want to ask you about, I should say,
1: possibly Crooked, because this has not been prosecuted yet. Uh, and there's not even been an arrest. But that, that uh, story I'm talking about is Sam Bankman-Fried and the collapse of FTX, as crypto exchange. Our colleague, Teddy Schleifer, talked to him just a few days ago. Everyone should go read this interview. It's fascinating. It's also of a piece of him talking to almost every reporter, it feels like. I, I'm reminded of... Anthony Weiner, in his first public demise back in 2011, when he was denying that, you know, that underwear pic on Twitter was his, he was doing interviews with CNN and ABC and doing press conferences, denying, denying, denying. It was like, he was almost like addicted to trying to get out of this calamitous lie. And Teddy actually asked SPF, like, hey, man, why are you doing this? Why are you talking so much? And his answer was, you know, I feel like there's been some wrong stories that have come out about me like that we partied all the time at FTX and I don't drink. And he said, I feel like the only thing I have left at this point is the truth. There's no hiding. And yet, Bill, it kind of feels like I don't really know what the truth is yet. He's just talking and talking and talking. There's so much volume, but we still don't have any
0: real answers as to like what he knows. And he's speaking elliptically and in circles and with mumbo jumbo and is... uh... harry styles says uh, all this late night talking what's it getting us uh i mean this is let's just say an extremely unorthodox legal strategy on his part he even admitted that you know he's not listening to his lawyers i don't even know what he's got to say anymore that's been unsaid i mean uh he was on a twitter spaces on saturday that i was listening to for a while and one guy got on and uh you know started really pressing him about where the money was and can he say a few nice things about Solana to help boost the Solana market and and and, and just you know kept sort of probing and pushing him and finally SBF said I'm I'm out of here and then he, he later came back after this guy was squelched but you know I have a feeling that if the questions get too pointed or, or too specific or trying to get it too clear about what he did and and why and how, I don't think he's going to be answering those questions. Even he knows not to do that. Teddy asked if
1: he was going to respond and testify uh, before the House Financial Services Committee next week, actually. um, And SPF says, I haven't answered that yet. I want to be helpful when I do. Like he keeps talking in the future tense about wanting to be helpful and wanting to recover people's money and wanting to do this. And he's kicking the can down the road, down the road, down the road. And yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a, a very long time before we are able to slice through the, the word vomit.
0: Well, I mean, I, I will agree, you know, he has raised the specter, I think, fairly effectively of maybe he didn't know. Maybe he's not a, a criminal con artist. Maybe he's just a terribly naive, childlike individual, which is, you know, sort of the way he carries himself. And, you know, when I talked to him a year ago for 90 minutes for my crypto documentary, you know, that was the sort of sense that I got about him, that he's childlike. But, you know, a prodigy childlike, a genius, you know. So I don't know whether he's a criminal mastermind or this terribly, terribly naive, childlike individual. I literally have no idea at this point. You know, as I've said in a piece on Wednesday, you know, is he Elizabeth Holmes and going off to prison for 11 years plus, or is he Adam Newman and walking off with a billion dollars and then $350 from Andreessen Horowitz for his new venture? Which person is this? I don't know yet. And I don't think we're going to know until, A, we get the examiner's report in the bankruptcy, B, we hear from the SEC or the Justice Department. All right, Bill. Thanks so much. You got it. When we come back, Alex
1: Bigler is here for another round of Feedback Friday. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, Impossible Not to Love. Now available only on Netflix. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Welcome back, everyone. Uh, if it's Friday, it's time for the still being named Alex Bigler segment. We've gone with Friday feedback. We've gone with the Friday segment, which is pretty boring. My calendar invite for this said Bigler Beat.
2: <laughs> that was producer Adam.
1: Oh, is it? Okay, good. Well, thanks, Adam. It sounds like a newspaper. Like It sounds like a cute homemade newspaper that like an aspiring like
2: Mm-hmm. child
1: journalist would make. Um, so well, I don't know it, if that was you.
2: It was 100% the one and only producer, Adam, though technically my high school m- music column was called the Bigler Beat. So there is precedent for it. Was it really? It was. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Ah, that's cool. I Shoot. I have to go back. My Georgetown voice sports columns rotated names. I think I ended up going with Helms to Weather Jai Bo, which is a sailing term, (laughs) Uh, but maybe some of our elite Puck listeners will get that uh, if if there are any sailors in the audience. Um, I sailed for a minute. That
2: rolls off the tongue. You should bring that back
1: (laughs) for sure. Uh, Anyway, so what is uh, on your beat today, Alex?
2: I have so much to talk to you about. I'm, I'm thrilled that we have this time together. And the first thing that I would love to talk to you about is I listened to you and John on Media Monday this week. You were talking about the New Yorker piece that came out about Puck, which was great. And there was one oversight that I would like to come and and really clear up here, which is the note in the article calling Fritz, quote unquote, Puck's automated email persona. Now, we've gotten a lot of emails from readers about this line in particular, saying things like, this is a This is a bot. I thought this was a real person. Like, am I going crazy? What's going on? So, Peter, I just want to say, if Fritz was automated, we would have the best AI on the planet. You and I. Seriously. We would be in our neighboring yachts in the Mediterranean, sipping rosé, just satisfied with all of our money from having the best SaaS company on the planet. It is very much not an automated email persona are real people who respond to everyone, as you know, from because you've sent people to to Fritz as well.
1: I have. Also, yeah, I mean, that's, it's not like chat GPT. But, you know, I think something that came through in the New Yorker piece, uh, something about John, is like the human touch, the thank you note, you know, the belief in writers. I don't know. I, I feel like this is, I mean, no one here is talking about <laughs> automating articles. No. But, you know, we believe in uh human curation and being elegant, and we care about design, and we care about, I don't know, those little details, and that's what makes Puck different.
2: Very much. Well, I, you know, couldn't live with myself if I thought that your listeners on this podcast thought that Fritz was an automated email persona, considering I'm here every week to give give a look into the inbox itself, so.
1: The New Yorker is known for its rigorous fact-checking and, uh, you know, have to give them a black mark for that one.
2: Well, we did get an email from someone this week, which was so nice that I thought I thought you would like. They said, hopefully this doesn't sound too corny. But when I think about Puck journalists, it's as if the journalists are the Avengers using their strength to come together to make the world a more informed place. Now I thought that was a little bit corny, but it certainly warmed this automated email persona's cold mechanical heart. So I wanted to make sure to share it with you today.
1: That's a nice thing to say. That reminds me of what we talked about last week, about the kind of collaboration that we have here. Bill and Teddy could tag team a story about SBF, you know, Julia and Tara and Tina could tag team a story about Capitol Hill. You know, I could tag team a story with Tara about campaign stuff. And, and I feel like as much as we all have our specialties, um, they overlap in wonderful ways.
2: Yeah, we actually you mentioned that. I think we talked about this last week. Uh, Teddy and Eric had a call last week talking about SBF, a call for our inner circle members, which we actually turned into a like into an article for people to read to kind of get a sense of what those what those conversations are like. So maybe we could put them in the show notes for this episode.
1: Let's do it. I rely on you for that.
2: I'll take care of it. I got it. All right. I told you I've got a lot to say. I'm on to the next one. Can't linger on anything for too long. I thought your conversation with Baratunde this week was really awesome and super informative. It actually, you know, our team was listening it to get a sense of what some of the different news platforms are like. He's always so on top of things.
1: I feel like every time I have a conversation with Baratunde, we like step back a little bit from what's in the news. And that's certainly what we focus on at Puck is what's what's happening, you know, in the power corners of the country. But he has a, a very deliberate mind, I think. And he does a lot of work in the sense that he doesn't just look at something that's happening in the zeitgeist or in the news. He'll go read a book about it. He'll go like actually try and like figure out why something is happening. And um, not that all of our other reporters don't do that, but I feel like I have a different kind cool. of conversation with him and I appreciate it. I learned a lot. And it's nice. It was like a little meditation on our addiction to this platform that I've been on since 2007, <laughs> which is pretty crazy.
2: Oh, sorry. I didn't hear what you were saying. I was scrolling Twitter. So mm, uh, <laughs> kidding. I'm Same. kidding. I was not. Um, no, and he's also, I mean, our our puck general Slack channel is also Always lighting up with great questions from Baratunde too, like asking asking the other journalists about their particular area of expertise. But we've been getting a lot of questions from from readers asking about if Puck or the journalists are going to be on other platforms like Post and Mastodon and and you know the laundry list of options. So I would just say to that that we're kind of approaching everything with curiosity and open-mindedness we're really doing our research we're doing our homework aka slacking Baratunde day and asking him what these <laughs> platforms are like and we'll keep everyone posted um, as we you know think about expanding our presence on other social platforms
1: this reminds me of the conversation in politics like in 2015 and Dan Pfeiffer former Obama person wrote a famous <laughs> um, No, Medium Post, not Substack. This is pre-Substack, saying it was going to be the Meerkat election. That's because Meerkat was a streaming service that like commingled with Twitter, I guess, and you could live stream events. It was hot for 10 seconds. Um, And it it was a cautionary tale about dabbling in new new platforms. And something I've learned covering the digital side of politics and campaigns is not every platform is for everyone. You know, um, Joe Biden has been on my Snapchat show. Three times, which is more than any other politician, for a septuagenarian, that's pretty good. But he's not, like, doing snaps. Like, he's not, you know, like, Joe Biden shouldn't be on TikTok, for example. He came on Snapchat in a format, my show, which felt comfortable and and natural for him. Whereas, you know, someone like Beto O'Rourke or Stacey Abrams could just sort of naturally, like, use the platform in a way that other people can't. So, um, we... Uh, should be looking at all our options, but we should also face ourselves and not rush to the shiny new object.
2: I couldn't agree with you more wholeheartedly. And there is nothing worse than looking like you're trying too hard on a new social platform, which is what all of the people under 30 who I work with tell me all the time as I'm out there on my on my social platforms being like, hello, fellow kids. So, <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, Peter, I think One of the last things I want to bring up today, at least, is we have really big ambitions for Puck in 2023. I'm thinking a lot about all of the places we're going to go, the new verticals we may have, the events that we might be doing. It's really looking very exciting. So I would encourage our listeners, if you're curious about Puck and you're not a subscriber might want to think about gifting yourself a membership for 2023. If you are a subscriber and you love Puck, we have gift subscriptions for anybody on your holiday list. You can email fritz at puck.news and we'll get you all sorted out because there are real elves on the other side of that inbox.
1: I have a question though when is our year end? Guide to Mirth and Merriment coming out.
2: Oh, I'm so glad that you asked. Um, I believe the Guide to Mirth and Merriment is coming out next week at some point.
1: This is a uh, list of things, objects, subscriptions Mm -hmm. that our group of writers all contributed to, the things we can't live without. And we did it last year, too. And um, I don't know if as many people saw it, but I hope a lot of people see it this year because we all have amazing taste here obviously
2: some of us have probably better taste than others and i would not put myself in that category but um (laughs) but it is a very fun a very fun list so i can't wait for everyone to see it um and i can't wait to see what you put in it this year
1: i put some good stuff in there yeah it's good it'll be good good shopping tips i feel like once people see it for sure no spoilers no no spoilers. spoilers all right thanks Alex. thanks peter thanks so much for listening to another episode of the powers that be as a reminder the powers that be is the official podcast of puck we'd like to thank ben landy liz goff and alex bigler for their editorial and production guidance if you like what you hear on this podcast please share with a friend it really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only puck can offer you can visit us at puck.news and on twitter at puck news i'm peter hamby see you next week